Well, thank you and good morning. And I don't feel like a guest because as we were reciting our memory verse together, I am a member with you, even though this isn't where I attend. And it's a privilege to be part of the body of Christ together. So uh, thank you. It's good to be together today. Um, We're going to be in Philippians today. But before we jump there, um, I was noting that we have many, many verses that are so familiar to us that most of us can recite them by heart. Sometimes we don't always understand the context that we're in, but you often find those verses uh, on plaques that go in our homes or in hallways. I went online and I googled famous verses on plaques. And I came up with the first website of christianplaques.com. So here are a few excerpts. I'll do the first part, and if you can help me out, maybe you do the second part. Trust in the Lord with with all your heart. Well done, Randy. I've known Randy for 30 plus years over there. I love your enthusiasm. God is our refuge and strength. I love how verbal you are here. Sometimes when I do that with the seniors, I get a whisper back. Be still and know that I am God. Very good. I am the way. Okay, I was going to see if you finished it. Well done. Well done. And then today's where we're going to spend some time. And if you've already looked at the back of your bulletin, you can sort of cheat on this one there. But even without that, I think this is one of the most famous. I can do all things. And so most of you have known that long before today's service and the fact that it's written on the back, right? Okay. And I bet if I asked for a raise of hands, most of the hands would be up and say, yes, that's a verse I have known for many, many years. But I bet if I asked, how many of you know the context of the verse, the hands would sort of come down a little bit, right? Because we don't tend to know the immediate context of that verse that is so, so important to understanding what does it mean that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Because is it true I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Is that absolutely true for you? Okay, okay, that wasn't quite as confident there, but I did hear an amen. So does that mean everything in my life that I choose to do, I can do it because Christ strengthens me? Everything? So if I'm looking for a job and I'm unemployed because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I'll get a job in the timing that I want, right? Or the job that I want. Or since I just joined the ranks of official retirement, I can have everything I need in retirement or want because sometimes those two get blurred, don't they? Because Christ strengthens me, right? I can just claim that verse, right? Because he's told me I can do that. Hmm. Okay, so then... What are all the things that he's talking about? 
Spiritual things. Yes, Randy. Everything under his sovereign plan for my life. Yes, that is an umbrella that sits over the top of this. So let's, uh, before we jump into that section of Philippians, uh, let's do just a tiny bit of background on Philippians. This is a four chapter letter written by Paul to the church at Philippi. We probably all knew that there. And it is meant, or it was meant back then, right, to be read over a series of 12 weeks, two paragraphs at a time, right? So we would just, Paul would send that letter there and they would open it up one Sunday, assuming it was Sunday that they met, read two paragraphs, fold it up, put it away. We'll come back next week and read the next two, right? Well, maybe if I could use an example more current, I have a son and a daughter-in-law, and they have two children who are two and five, and they serve in a country in the Middle East, And when I get an email from them, I do that very thing. I read the first paragraph and then I tuck it away. I'll read the next paragraph next week. And then the next week. Or when in that email they attach seven pictures, I just look at one, right? Of my grandkids and I say, I'll save the next one for next week. No, that's foolishness, isn't it? I want no interruptions, phones, well, the phone has to be on because often I'm reading it on the phone, so the phone's on, but it doesn't matter if it rings, right? Because I'm going to devour that letter from beginning to end. One, because they're my children, and I'm going to look and ponder every picture slowly so that I can see the expressions on my grandchildren's faces. So, we don't read a letter like that. And one of the reasons we don't read a letter like that is not just, and can you imagine what it was like for the Philippian church to get a letter from Paul, who had visited them three times, I'll put four fingers up, three times, and this group of people was probably the dearest group of people that he knew of all the churches that he visited and established. So they probably devoured it because they'd want to hear from Paul because they loved him. But they wanted to hear it all the way from beginning to end because wouldn't it be true that the end is somehow tied to the beginning? That they're not just separate independent thoughts, but that as Paul sat down and inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote that from beginning to end? Wouldn't be surprised if he wrote that letter in one setting. I don't know whether he would have written all of the chapters of Romans in one sitting. That might be a little arduous. But I bet this letter of four chapters, he wrote all together in one sitting. If you're in Philippians already, I want to also highlight, as I've already done, that Paul particularly loved this group of believers. 
in verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, he does that to other churches. But he goes on and says, Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now skip down to verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers of this grace with me, both in my imprisonment. Remember, he wrote this from prison and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Listen to this. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Then I'm going to read of chapter 4, verse 1 quickly. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and whom I long for, my joy and my crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Whom I love and whom I long for, whom my soul yearned for. So yes, the words of this letter are inspired by the Holy Spirit of God so that today we might have these words just how God wanted them. But they were communicated through the heart of a man who was so dear to these people and maybe outside of Timothy and Titus who he saw as his spiritual sons. These were the dearest people in the life of Paul. So what we read here is something that is really personal to Paul. And I'm not implying his other letters weren't personal. But there seems to be an extra dose here. So now going back to the end of this chapter, in verse 13 of chapter 4, that phrase that you helped me say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So then the question that I asked earlier, then what are all those things? Well, let's look at the context. The context that's not as familiar to us when we're talking about that verse. I'm reading from verse 10 of chapter 4 where Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Again, these very dear people. You were indeed for concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I have learned. In other words, it just didn't ooze into me. But instead, Paul says, I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. So he says, well, let me explain it a little bit more. I know how to be brought low. Hmm. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. Opposite ends of the spectrum. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I have a 95-year-old mother that lives with my daughter, and we look for things to try and do together. 
And for some reason, she is into the kinds of shows like Survivor. Uh, and a more recent one that she was introduced to called Alone. Have any of you seen Alone? Just a couple. Alone is this crazy thing where they take 10 people who are survival specialists and dump them in terrible places to live, to fend for themselves with no food, only a few tools. In Patagonia was one of these seasons. In the northern tip of Vancouver Island on the Pacific coast up there, and I understand the next one that we're going into is somewhere in Siberia. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And they're alone. It's not a group of 10. They're planted in different places. And the last one who stays without pressing the button, I'm out of here, they win a half million dollars. So my mother and I are watching this idea of alone. They have, and every one of them goes through bouts of hunger. They lose plenty of weight. They have nothing except what they can figure out on their own. And starvation is always right there in that, in that precipice right there. Paul says, I have learned to be content. I've learned the secret of when there's abundance. And I've learned the secret when I'm starving. Not just with food, but with life in general. I've learned the secret of being content when I have everything going for me and when nothing is going for me. Speaking, this is the context of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not about the things I may want in life. It's about learning the secret of contentment because when I have contentment, Paul is saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Because contentment has influenced how I deal with abundance and nothing. The secret is contentment. But we're at the end of the letter. We're just about to some final conclusions here. And Paul's learned, or Paul is communicating, I've learned the secret of being content. It's a secret and none of you know it. That, that doesn't seem very loving to a group. Why would he do that and not right after that verse list? Okay, and here's one, two, three, four, five. Here's, here's the secret. I'm going to tell just you because you're my favorite church. Paul doesn't do that. But is Paul saying the secret is only for me? It's for everybody. But it doesn't happen automatically because he says, I've had to learn what this secret is. God just didn't tell me right after my experience with him on Damascus while I was headed into town, him saying, Paul, here's the secret of being content. Follow these four principles and you will be content. Over the months and years to come, Paul learns the secret of being content. And I would say to you, the entire letter of four chapters is Paul's delivery of here's the secret. Here's the secret. I'm writing it to you. And in any of the letter, this is why I wrote you these things. Because this is the secret. This is the key 
to contentment. The whole letter is part of that. I've picked seven. I didn't pick seven because it was the special number. As I was looking through, those seven stuck out at me. The first one is in between that wonderful greeting and his loving comments to them in chapter one. I left out reading verse six. I jumped from five to seven. Let's take a look at verse six of chapter one. Paul says this, and I am sure of this. Remember, we're talking in the context of contentment. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you secret number one. I am convinced, Paul says, that he, Jesus Christ, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it. You know the song, right? He who began a good work in you. You know it, Randy. I love having Randy. I miss you, Randy. The first secret I would say he's giving to his beloved friends is, I'm confident that the very one who rescued your soul is the very one who will finish the work that he started in you. It's like Paul saying, Jesus, you bookended my life, my Christian life. From the moment of salvation to the moment I go home to be with you. The moment of salvation, Ephesians 2.4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, what did he do? He made us alive in Christ. By grace you've been saved. It wasn't me who made me alive. He who began the good work by being merciful and making me alive is the same one who will be there at the end. He'll bring it to completion. 2 Timothy 2 says this, If we've died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The faithful one who began our walk with Christ is the faithful one who will bring it to its conclusion and offer that before his heavenly father. And in the middle, in Philippians 2.13, it says, he sustains us in between, where it says, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. So the first key, the first secret, is having confidence that he who began a good work in you will be the one who's faithful to bring it to its conclusion. The second one, the second secret, I would say, is still in that first chapter at verse 21 of Philippians. He says... If I am to live in the flesh, verse 22, that means fruitful labor for me. It's a good thing. If I stay alive, it's a good thing. Fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. 
I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Why was Paul so hard-pressed? Most of us would not say, I am really struggling today to either stay here and be with you or to die and go to heaven. We probably don't have that conversation too often, do we? Probably with nobody that you greeted this morning did one of you say that. You know, it's great to be with you, great to encourage you, but I'd rather die. (laughs) What's Paul saying there? If you think about it, Paul has given us many windows into his life. Do you remember in Romans 7, he's probably frustrated with some of the things in his life, where he says, the very thing I am supposed to do, I do not do, and the very thing I'm not supposed to do is the thing I do. Wretched man that I am. He's frustrated. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that battle with sin to the man that we would say in the New Testament outside of Jesus himself was number two? Maybe John competes with him, but this is, I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament. God used him like few others in all history. He's saying this battle with sin is hard. I fail at it. What a wretched man that I am. But we should not ever read that without turning the page to chapter 8 where it says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But Paul says this battle is real. In the last chapter to his letter to the church at Ephesus, he also talks about that battle When in verse 12 he says, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Whatever our battle is, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's almost like we're battling against Star Wars and the evil empire there. Paul reminds us That the difficulties we face, work, relationships, marriage, children, church, are not first a horizontal battle. They're a spiritual battle against the primary enemy of God. Hmm, I wonder if this has affected why Paul says, you know what? For me to live is Christ, but to die would be so much better. I'd be done with that. John records, and maybe he knew this, a simple verse that he said, in this life, you will have trouble. Paul wasn't interested in maintaining that except for the one fact, for me to live as Christ, because it's good for you as my fellow believers. But he was ready to be done with the difficulty and challenge of life and exchange it for what is written in Revelation 21. You may recognize this, where John, this is revealed to him, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first earth, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city of New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared for a bride adorned as her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will do what? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And you know what? Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. For me to live is Christ, but to die, it's gain. Look what I'm gaining. Look what I'm giving up. Look what I'm gaining. The second secret is, is let's have a biblical perspective of what this life is and what the next life is. Secret number three. Verse 27 of chapter one says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul so loved that principle is that he did it almost exactly in three other letters. In Ephesians 4 chapter 1 he says, I urge you, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. To the church at Colossae he said, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To the church at Thessalonica he says, walk in a manner worthy of God. The third secret is walk worthy of the Savior. Is to not be so engrossed in this world and the things of this world that I lose sight of what they are all about. Secret number four, and I'm going to say probably the most profound secret that I'm saying is in chapter two of Philippians. No, you've heard this before, but I would like you to think of it in the context of Paul revealing to you and I, what is the secret of contentment? Chapter 2, verse 3. Don't do anything from selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out, not just for your own interests, but also for the interest of others. Listen to these next words. And have this mind in yourselves, or have this attitude in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God. A thing to be grasped. But you know what he did? He emptied himself. The King of kings, the Lord of lords emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and he humbled himself so much so to being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You cannot talk about contentment without the beautiful picture of Christ that oozes humility. That the creator of all mankind would allow them to do what they did to him and take his life. Which they really didn't do because he gave it up willingly. 
But think of the humility that Christ exhibited, that Paul gives us such a beautiful picture of. We cannot have contentment without humility. I cannot live in arrogance and be content, can I? Pride and arrogance will always lead us away from contentment because will make us always want more. Humility talks about emptying himself. Humility talks about the Son of God saying, I didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead, I empty myself. To think more highly of others than I think myself. When I read that verse of Ephesians 4.1 that says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, that I was using earlier, verse 2 goes on and describes that. With all humility, gentleness, patience, kindness, bearing with one another in love. The first word Paul uses to walk in a manner worthy of the calling says, with all humility. Philippians 2 gives us an incredible picture of the humility of Christ. The fourth secret, and maybe the most important, is a humility that is like Christ. Secret number five in chapter three of Philippians verse seven. We've heard this verse before also. Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of one thing, of knowing Christ. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because see, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things that I had. And I count them, we don't use this word anymore, right? Rubbish. I count it as garbage. I count it as garbage in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having this righteousness of my own, because Paul had that righteousness of his own, right? Before Christ, he was, he was top dog. He was one of the premier Jews. This is rubbish. It's garbage. And I give that up in order that I might have a righteousness that doesn't come from the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. When we were saved, Christ took my sin upon him. He became my sin and placed on me the righteousness of Christ so that when my father looks at me, a sinful man, he sees me through the lens of the righteousness of Christ. I give all that up for that alone, that I might have the righteousness which comes through faith in Christ from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I might know him. And that I might know the power of his resurrection and that I might, we don't like this one, share in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Secret five. I give up 
all that. I don't know what it is in your life, but there's stuff in my life that I thought I had accomplished, that I thought maybe gave me some value. Paul says, no. The only thing that gives me value is the righteousness of Christ, which he imputed to me when he took my sin on him. So Paul says, I'm done with that. Only this. Talks about being strengthened um, with power in one of Paul's prayers to the church at Ephesus. He says this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory that he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Paul says, I reject everything else that I might know Jesus. Now he's saying that as a man who already knew Jesus, right? That happened on the road to Damascus. But he's going on in the present tense saying, I want to live my life so that I might know him. That word know is not how we think of the word know. I know something because I know the facts or I learned them. The word know that he's using is a word of intimacy. Remember that in the Old Testament it says that Abraham knew Sarah and what happened? She got pregnant. We're talking about intimacy here. Paul's saying that I might know Christ in the most intimate of ways. That I would even love to suffer for him and to be like him in his death. I said, take the distractions of this world away from me that I might know Christ. Number six. Verse 20 of chapter three. This is also one of my favorites here. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our body to be like his glorious body. Paul said, at this moment in time, to the Philippians, at their moment in time, you are citizens of heaven. Many of us have lost sight of the value of citizenship. And even if we watch a lot of Fox News, we learn that people are getting here without becoming citizens, but we don't need to go there. But citizenship is being somewhat diluted for us, isn't it? My parents were immigrants from Argentina, and they had a whole different perspective on citizenship. See, they had to work and save for years. They had to find somebody to sponsor at least one of them in order to come to this country in hopes of one day becoming a citizen. Now they've taught me a lot of respect for that and I have that from them. They knew that life, they knew what life was like in a country that was a dictatorship at that time. And they knew the value because they saw 
what citizenship didn't work like. And they hoped to become citizens in a place that they heard would be far, far better. But that example of citizenship, as valuable as it is, isn't the citizenship that Paul is talking about. He says, but our citizenship is, not will be, is. He's talking to people who are alive. Your citizenship right now at this very moment is in heaven. We don't tend to think that way, do we? We think, well, that'll be someday. Paul's saying at this very moment, you have already been made citizens. In fact, you didn't have to save up. You didn't have to accomplish things. You didn't have to study to pass a test in order to become citizens. One thing and one thing alone has given you citizenship at this very moment. And that is, do I belong to Christ? Paul is saying, I get it. I am a citizen right now, not just of something sort of out there, but literally of heaven now. I am a citizen. He's saying to you, you are a citizen of heaven. Paul's saying this is, I think, one of the secrets of being content. That that's already guaranteed. I don't know when I will move there. I've got kids overseas. They are citizens here. I'm eager for them to come back and visit. But they know they're citizens here even though they're away. I know I'm a citizen of heaven even though I'm away from whatever that will be like. And I'm still in a place that one day will fade away. And I will be in a place that is perfect and Christ-like. Then he says there's one more thing. That we are citizens of heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will radically change everything. Who will transform us. Christ is going to transform us to be like his glorious body. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of the glorious body of Christ. I do think of in heaven one day it'll say of him that there's no need for the sun. Why? Because of the glory of God. The glory of Christ. Do you remember when Jesus returned after uh, he had been crucified and raised? There was something pretty mysterious about how he got into the room with the disciples. Remember the door was locked? All of a sudden he's there in his glorious body. We will be transformed to be like his glorious body. Some of us are getting tired of these bodies, aren't we? We will be transformed to be like his glorious body. And it's not just the physical. It's that which is beyond our comprehension. That's secret number six that I would say. Number seven. This one I find in Philippians 4.8. This is another one of the secrets of being truly content. Verse 8 says this of chapter 4. Finally, brothers. Remember this? He could have said, finally, my dearest of friends. Whatever is true. Whatever is honorable. Whatever is just. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. 
whatever's commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, read about them once in a while, right? No. All the time, Randy. I want you to think about these things at the end of verse 8. And he goes on and explains it even more. What you have learned, just like I, Paul, learned, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. First, I want you to think about these things, but don't too often we think about things and we're a little slower in putting it into practice? We know lots of things about God. We know lots of things about how to live the Christian life. Paul's saying, it's not enough. It's not enough to think about these things. You've got to practice them. First John is filled with the word practice when it talks about the Christian life. He says, practice these things. When you think about them and practice them, here's what's going to happen. Look at the rest of the verse. And the God of peace will be with you. Hmm. God of peace. Contentment. Thinking about these things that Paul has said. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about this. Practice these things. And you know what? The peace of God will invade your life. And you will be content. Proverbs 4.23. Let's see if you know the second half of these, this verse. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Solomon saying words a thousand years before Paul. Paul is saying These things that are pure, lovely, honorable, think about them. Chew on them, meditate on them, and then practice them. And the God of peace will be with you. So in chapter 4 now, we end up back at verse 13 of chapter 4. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the All things are whatever circumstance, Paul, you put me in. I can do these things because you strengthen me. One of the reasons I can do that is because I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all these things because I've learned the secret of contentment. And I can do them through Christ who strengthens me. So those seven things, and there are more within this beautiful letter. But the first one was having a confidence in the sovereign, you use the word sovereign over there, in the sovereign work of God in our lives, that he began it, he'll be along in the middle of it, and he'll complete it. Hmm, a lot of what God does there. That, to know that, and to have confidence in that breeds contentment that 
For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The the belief that heaven is better. And it's a real belief in real time in my life now. That's part of the secret of being content. To understand God's purpose for me to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I don't do that, there's going to be no contentment, right? If I don't walk worthy of the Savior, worthy of the Lord, I will not be content. And I realize it's not totally all or none of this. It's this journey of moving towards walking in a manner. That's why he uses the word walking in a manner worthy of Christ. That we're moving towards that. The fourth one, which I said is a non-negotiable, is the humility of Christ. Is essential to contentment that is life-giving, that satisfies our very souls. That we would let nothing, the fifth one, stand in the way of knowing Christ intimately and the power of his resurrection. And to be willing to suffer with him all that I might be part of that resurrection. The sixth one, don't forget, you want to be content? The more we understand we're citizens of heaven and that's where we're going, we will be more content, won't we? Because our eyes will be more focused there and less on my 401k. Or 403B in my case. I've never figured that out. They're just numbers and letters to me. The more this is what drives me and the less of this which holds on to me, the greater my contentment will be. Finally, thinking and practicing the right things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. How can I do it? By learning in all things, both the good and the bad, the secret of contentment. Paul learned that that didn't come automatically, but it was part of that living a life that is disciplined, focused on Christ. That through time, the application of God's truths to my life, to bring beauty and peace into my life and contentment that results in an ability to do all things through Christ who strengthened me. There's an old hymn that's become one of my favorites and the chorus of it goes like this and I think it fits with this having a right perspective and I'll finish with this. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strange how that will happen, is it? As I focus on the face of Christ, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father in heaven, every one of our hearts need that peace and contentment that only comes from your spirit. But thank you, God, you haven't kept it a secret. You've revealed that. And... Our role is to walk in a direction that is centered on you. To push away those things that we know 
work against that contentment and bring you no pleasure and to cling to those things that delight your very heart. Jesus, thank you for being a God who is gentle and lowly, who calls us to come to you, not just at the point of salvation, but throughout our lives, and to fixate our gaze on you so that one day we will just enter into that absolute joy of seeing you face to face, changed forever.